Premier League season is over, but we still have the Champions League and Europa League to come. And Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365 Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. On this, our final show of the protracted 2019-20 season, we'll reflect on Chelsea's bashing by Bayern, look back at the season as a whole, answer your questions, and there's the return of our cult hero feature. All that to come on this edition of Straight Out of Cobham. Yes, hello listener. Thanks for joining us. Matt Davis-Adams here, coming to you this week from the scenic North Wales coast. Yep, I'm on holiday. Apologies, therefore, if the sound quality is a little below what we'd usually bring you, or if you get a bit of background noise of the waves crashing against the shore, or more realistically, my two-year-old crashing around calamitously as if he were Juan Cuadrado and it was 2015. Uh, We're back at full strength this week. Fuego will be relieved to hear that. He's tweeted the show to ask, is Liam done with cycling in France? Uh, Liam Toomey, that is. How was your trip, Liam? Yeah, it was good. It was good. I didn't cycle all the way back, thankfully. I got the Eurostar, um, which was very civilised. But um, yeah, cycling along the the Loire Valley by the river, I'd recommend it to anyone. Sounds delightful. Uh, Simon Johnson's been moonlighting for the BBC, but he's back to the day job this week. Guten Tag, Simon. (laughs) Uh, Yes, hello, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to think of some German, but I couldn't think of anything. Well, what's it, German? Hello? Danke. Danke, thank you. We'll get to that at the end. Uh, Don Fifield, (laughs) how's your garden looking this morning? All all is good. I've I've had a very boring week compared to everybody else, but I say nothing. (laughs) Right, our first port of call this week is the Champions League. So, there was no miracle in Munich this time for Chelsea as the Blues season ended in disappointing fashion with a 4-1 defeat at the Allianz Arena, meaning Chelsea exit the Champions League at the last 16 stage via a 7-1 aggregate hammering. Paul's tweeted the show. He says, overall, V happy with the season, but watching the game versus Bayern reminded me of watching us under AVB. Too often caught with too many men ahead of the ball. Is the comparison fair and can the problem be solved with a change of personnel or does it require a change of style? Simon, what do you think? I wouldn't sort of just use the Bayern Munich game as as an example of, of Chelsea being caught like that. It, it happened throughout the season. Um in terms of comparisons with ABB, he, he uh, memorably played with a high block. Um, I hate talking about blocks, but ABB <laughs> talks about blocks all the time. Um, I'm not sure it's quite the same style in terms of the Chelsea's back line isn't playing as high as it did under ABB. Um, memories of um, John Terry being caught out against Arsenal particularly springs to mind. Why on earth ABB wanted to play a high block with someone with no pace? At centre back was uh, was a mystery to me, but anyway, let's not go back in the past. Talking about the present, um, I, I just sort of think that talking too much about that Bayern Munich game 
isn't a real reflection of the season. It was a pretty tired and weakened side against a Bayern Munich side that is, I would argue, is is the best team in the competition. Um, they certainly are one of the favourites for it. Um, they are the finished article and they just picked Chelsea off at will, really. I mean, even Kante coming back, I thought he looked a bit rusty and understandably so after a few weeks out. So I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't sort of um, dwell too much on Bayern Munich game. They're in a different league, as it were, to Chelsea right now. Um, but there's no doubt about it that the summer transfer window will be used to try and fix some of the problems in goal, in defence and in midfield. Uh, Liam, you only have to look at the scoreline to, to see the negatives that there were from, from the game and from the tie. From that second leg, were there any positives you could pick out from a Chelsea perspective? As Lampard suggested afterwards, I think it's um, it's good for some of the younger players to have that experience, even if it's an experience of of, of a very difficult evening, um, because they're seeing up close the standard to which they should be aspiring and the standard to which Chelsea as a club are aspiring to reach again. And of course, you know Tammy Abraham, I guess, can take his. I thought he was he was quite bright, as bright as he could be in the circumstances all game and, and, and Chelsea worked hard but I mean that's the bare minimum the main is just the quality uh, that Bayern showed throughout both matches and, and that has to be the, the benchmark for Chelsea moving forward Tom how far off that do you think Chelsea are is it is it realistic to think that they could compete against a team like Bayern in the next season or two or two might be the key uh, mm. I, don't, I don't see them um being able to overhaul a team like Bayern Munich necessarily next season. They, As Simon says, they are at the peak of their powers. The, the, the game on Saturday reminded me a bit of, and apologies to our US audience here, but it, it, it sort of reminded me of England going up against Australia in the in the, in the the noughties, you know, you know, 2001 getting absolutely outclassed. But seeing signs of, of progress in your own team and, and realising the way you have to develop and um, with a view to impressing at some point in the future and then you know 2005 with English cricket they, they they won the ashes and and you know almost set a new standard and that's what Chelsea have to do they have to they have to learn from these two chastening experiences against against Bayern Munich um, and and take that experience into next season I don't think anyone expects Chelsea to go out and win the Champions League next season even with you know, Ziyech and, and, and Werner added and potentially others, Havertz and the like. It's, this is a process. This is a, an ongoing development. And if there is, if there is obvious progress from season to season, then that's pretty much what we should hope for and aspire to and, and appreciate. Uh, but I think there's some way off yet overhauling a side like Bayern Munich. I'll just sort of jump in, uh, if that's all right. Um, just to, just to, lobbing a, a couple of points from the game and, and, and sort of a few more positives that I sort of thought could be, be highlighted. Um, I mean, Frank Lampard, for one, named Reese James and the way he played at right back. I thought he had quite a tough evening, given he was up against another marauding display by Alfonso Davis, but, but he carried himself well. And I thought Callum Hudson-Odoi, which was a significant game for him against the team he could have joined, certainly for an hour or so, um, when he did get the ball, he looked dangerous. So I thought that was quite key. And also the the, the, the character the team showed when they went 2-0 down, they had a spell before half-time and, and just after half-time, um, where it would have been understandable if they just chucked the towel in. 
to be honest with you, I, I think the FA Cup final in their heads mentally was their final game of the season. They, they, they knew they weren't going to be able to come back against Bayern Munich. So for them to show that kind of character, which Lampard also referred to after the match, was was encouraging. But I go back to what I said earlier, that they were never going to be able to, to come back. And Bayern Munich were were a team that was hungry to get into the kind of form and shape and energy uh, that they need to be in to face Barcelona in the quarterfinals. They they had a lot more to play for in this game, whereas Chelsea were already sort of, I think, mentally um, just looking forward to their holidays. Well, as we know, Chelsea will go again in the Champions League next season. The draw for the group stage of that competition takes place on the 1st of October, with the first group stage games kicking off on the 20th of that month. Next up today, we'll recap the 2019-20 season. Hi there, I'm David Ornstein and I've launched a brand new show on YouTube, Ask Ornstein, where I answer questions from our athletic subscribers. To get your question answered, simply leave a comment at the bottom of my column every Monday and I'll choose my favourites. To watch the show, head over to the TIFO Podcast YouTube channel and a new episode will be up every Tuesday afternoon. So unlike this unique and drawn-out campaign, we'll try and keep our look back relatively brief and breezy. Uh, Liam, overall, the season a success, but a qualified one. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I think the top four situation is is one that's evolved in terms of the way I've thought about it over the last few months. Because last season, or last summer going into this season, I think top four would have, would have been seen as a, a considerable overachievement by a lot of people given where Chelsea were, given the departure of Hazard, all the things we know and have discussed at length. I think the season panned out with you know Tottenham falling to pieces, sacking Pochettino, Arsenal sacking Emery early on, United being a mess until Bruno Fernandes turned up. It's, it's harder to see top four overachievement for, for Chelsea and for Lampard because it was such a low-quality race and the number of points they finished with would have got them fourth in one of the last 10 seasons. That can't be ignored. But it is still a good achievement. And I think where I'd give Lampard additional credit is the way that he's done it by empowering the academy players, something that that a lot of people at Chelsea are waiting to see for a very long time and something, more importantly, was needed given... um, the, the varying circumstances and the fact that they couldn't really strengthen from the outside. So I think overall a good achievement. It would have been even better if they'd if they'd finished with an FA Cup win. And obviously the fact that they lost that game has given the season a little bit of a sour aftertaste for, for some supporters. But I think overall Chelsea are in a good place and, and Lampard has done his, his primary job this year. And Simon, after after an iffy start, that 4-0 hammering at, at Manchester United on the opening weekend and then just a draw from each of the first two home games, Chelsea actually recovered quite well, didn't they? They only lost two of the first 12 in the league. So so that was kind of indicative of the season as a whole in the Premier League. Whenever there was a bad result, there was usually a decent one fairly soon after. Yeah, I mean, you, you would sort of say perhaps their most consistent run of form was sort of between... September and and November ahead of the 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 city loss in some ways that that um that international break that came that November sort of upset the rhythm that they'd sort of managed to get onto and then, and then they went through a a bit of an iffy spell over the winter but yeah I mean I think you know there there, there was never sort of the real crisis 
period, there was inconsistency, sure. There was some problems at home, um, leading some uh, to some questionable opposition, let's just say, the likes of West Ham and, and, and Bournemouth. Um, and, and it was, weirdly, it was the kind of the, the lesser teams that Chelsea really struggled with all in all. Um, their record against the big clubs was pretty good. I mean, Manchester United aside, they beaten three times. Um, United beaten three times, but of course Chelsea then at least sort of got some element of revenge with the FA Cup semi final. But overall, it was the it was the weaker sides that that sort of exposed perhaps what we were talking to, about earlier at the start about their their problems against counter attacking teams, teams that sat back and just picked them off at, at will. But just just referring to the season in general, I think Bruce Buck has just been quoted, the chairman, he's almost the best person to to assess it because of course he's the he's going to be in on the the feelings, the sentiment that's at the club and, and he said we think it was a very successful season. I think obviously we'd have been a, a little bit happier if we'd won the FA Cup. Uh, Frank Lampard is a very positive force for Chelsea. He's Chelsea through and through and that continues to show through he carries a lot of credibility. It's an exciting time for Chelsea. And I think that pretty much sums it up. Dom, in terms of um, standout games from, from the league campaign, are there any that leap to mind? Six points against Tottenham, that, that early win at Wolves, and then, then Manchester City at the bridge after the restart all, all felt pretty significant? Yeah, I think so. They're good, they're good examples. I was going to pick out the, the wins at, at Tottenham and Arsenal um, towards the end of December. But typically with the way things worked out at Chelsea this season, those two victories over North London teams and rivals was sandwiched a 2-0 home defeat by Southampton, which you know sums up the way Chelsea were, the inconsistency there. But, but look, the second half revival at Arsenal... I think when Jorginho actually made a positive impact upon his introduction at the Emirates when they overturned the, the, a one nil half-time deficit and that the 2-0 win at Spurs were were impressive performances and results. And yeah, you, you can pick out other fine wins over the course of the season. They're probably the most complete performance was the uh, dismantling of Everton and, uh, just before lockdown. You know, they, they seemed to be a team that was really building momentum at that time and um, with the wins against Liverpool and Everton in quick succession. And then obviously lockdown kicked in and they, they didn't play again for three months. So I look back at it and think, given where Chelsea were last summer with the transfer ban, with the with the loss of Hazard in, in particular, I think Lampard's performed a good sort of almost healing job on, on at a difficult time at the club. Um, and everything he has achieved should be seen in that context. Yes, there is inconsistency. Yes, we know that there's huge work to be done on the on the defence, and and they've conceded way too many goals. I mean, they've conceded goals that you know teams in the relegation zone would have been appalled at. Um, it's they they need to work on that. They need to improve on that. But but now they can add to their squad. They can forge a team with signings more in the manager's image and the, to, to the manager's philosophy. And next season, this time next year, hopefully we can we can judge Lampard properly on a team that he's put together and, a, and assembled that, you know, that hasn't just, just been reliant upon an excellent youth system. It's, uh, it'll be more than that this time next year. And that, that's where we should judge him. So overall then, Champions League, I think we probably call that about par. The games against Ajax in the group stage, uh, very memorable uh, for slightly different reasons. FA Cup got to the final, that's decent. League Cup, well, second round, but other priorities. What, what, what are we giving 
Frank Lampard then as an overall grade for it for his first season. Liam, is he kind of BB plus territory? Yeah, I think I think that's pretty much spot on. I I would give him a B plus for getting over the line in the top four race because a season as as strangely fragmented as this one with with so many unique challenges I think it's just about getting over the line and getting it done and and Lampard eventually did that and but the plus I think is for putting academy players at, at the heart of what he was doing and and I know you know Simon and I've written extensively about him leaning more on the experienced members of the squad after the shutdown in the final stretch of the season. But the work that he's done establishing Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, Reese James, Callum Hudson-Odoi, and in particular Fikayo Tomori as well towards the start, will benefit Chelsea for years to come and, and, and will certainly benefit them as they're reinforcing this squad for, for next season. So overall a B plus, it would have been higher in A territory if they'd won the FA Cup or if they'd um, shown a bit more consistent evidence of being able to defend. Simon, uh, you've been pretty vocal in, in your um, in your praise of Mason Mount in, in recent weeks. As you mentioned the other night, first uh, Chelsea Academy player to get to 50-plus games in a season. Would he be your, your Chelsea Player of the Year? I've gone on record to say before yes, and so I'm going to stick with that. But I can I can understand why people will struggle to come to a common consensus on, on who the player of the year is because like the season players have had their, their ups and downs and, and Mason Mount is, is is one of those. You know, he's he's had times where he's been a bit quiet, um, and shown tiredness. I think the last few few appearances even he he was quite quiet. Um like the FA Cup final, we got off to a good start but went a bit quiet and the Champions League game against Bayern Munich, etc. Um you go through an a number of candidates. I mean, I'm sure Pulisic would be would be a, a genuine contender if he'd played the whole season, but he didn't. The same for Giroud. I know Liam's a big fan of Kovacic, but I think I think Kovacic has had his ups and downs as well. As Pilicueta, as sort of as a as a captain figure, has been fairly consistent, but has he been the outstanding to sort of say his player of the year? It's it's I'd, I'd say it's the the hardest decision. Uh, in terms of player of the year conversation that I can recall in in recent years, because there's normally been a, a, a real standout figure, but I, I wouldn't say anyone's gone above in terms of a whole season a sort of a seven out of ten. But I will still go with Mason Mount because, given where he started the season, um, this is his first season as a Chelsea player. I think it's a phenomenal achievement to play that amount of games. Um, and to provide what he ended up providing. I think it's um, the, the best is still to come. There's a lot more still to come from him. Isn't there an argument to to say that, that this is actually two seasons and that, that Mason Mount, as, as one 21-year-old, he was, he was consistently good and impressive until lockdown kicked in. And then, although his standards probably didn't dip too much, I think we saw Christian Pulisic coming through post-lockdown and, and, and really displaying the same sort of purple patch of form that he, he'd shown flickers of in the autumn. Uh, another 21-year-old who's, who, you know, the, the, the potential there is frightening. You could argue that, that, that those two 21-year-olds have been the, the outstanding candidates this season for players of the year or players of the years because it's, it just seems such a fragmented campaign uh, given, given COVID, etc. Right then, last of all for, for this season, let's pick a moment of this season. Liam, which one stands out for you? 
I, I think the game that, that, that sticks in my mind is the the mad high-scoring win away at Wolves. It was 5-2 in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, the, yeah, the 5-2 win at Wolves, I think, is the game that sticks in my mind just because of what it seemed to symbolise about the youth movement that Lampard was building, um, that fantastic Tammy Abraham hat-trick and that crazy Fakoa Tamori goal. Uh, it felt like a few things sort of clicked into place in terms of this team, but also the broader direction that Chelsea as a club were taking on that day um, without putting too much of a narrative on it. Uh, the other one was maybe Christian Pulisic's hat-trick away at Burnley. That also felt like a significant moment for him personally, where where he started to believe that, that he belonged in the Premier League and, and could really shine here. For me, it's actually the home game against Ajax because... I think in in one in 90 minutes it encapsulates the whole season. You've got Chelsea's deficiencies defensively uh, it's shown conceding goals from set pieces which is a real theme of of the season of course. Um but you also had the excitement of, of Chelsea in attack and then the the most bonkers sort of 30 seconds that I I think I can recall um of Two players being sent off in the same phase of play and a penalty. I mean, it was just, <laughs> it was, it was just crazy, and it was a real privilege to be there. Not that I was there for kickoff because I started off uh, that night trying to find Ajax fans in the pub for for a piece, um, but luckily I, I took my seat in time for the for the second half and all the drama that that followed. But I, I just think that with with, with Reese James, of course, getting at the equaliser, one of the academy boys. Um, I just think that game sort of sums up Chelsea, Chelsea's positives and negatives in a, in in not neatly wrapped up in ninety minutes. I just need to add, we can't talk about that game without. I'm literally going to say Kurt Zuma. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, a good yeah, shout for it, moment of the season, isn't it? That, that run is, with the ball. I think that is moment of the season. And if if people haven't read Adam Hurry's piece on that dribble. Um, I would much advise them to go and seek it out just to to jog their memories for one of the more entertaining moments, certainly. Yeah, available on The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod to get a 30-day free trial and, and look back on that. How about you, Dom? Maybe Spurs away or Arsenal away, ones you've mentioned already? I'd, I'd go Arsenal away just, just for the turnaround um, and the post-match celebrations on the pitch which I, th- I think at the time it, it just, just felt significant. There was a, a youngster who won Tammy Abraham and scored the winning goal and um, it just it just felt like a moment, uh, two goal, two late goals to win the match and and, and make a statement. Uh, I do I do love I do love the fact that you cite uh, I X away. Look, it's a brilliant 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 result. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think we should be remembering this season with any fondness as far as Michi Batshuayi is concerned. <laughs> He's had a personal nightmare the way things have worked out for him, poor lad. But uh, yeah, no, I'll go with I'll go with Tammy Abraham and and the, and the sense of celebration on the pitch at the at the Emirates at the end of that game. Well, not too long to wait until the new campaign gets underway. September the 12th, the start date for the 2020-21 Premier League kickoff. Okay, we're going to reach into the virtual mailbag next. Do you like beer? Do you like free beer? As a valued listener, we'd like to bestow upon you just that. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash Cobham and cover just the postage of £4.95. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener to Straight Outta Cobham, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's 10 free beers. 
Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise then that they're the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 delivers a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more, but they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. As well as the best, most interesting beer money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers you'll receive, and a beery snack is thrown in just to top it all off. Don't like dark beers? Choose the light plan. Easy. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash Cobham to get your free case. And don't forget, right now, straight out of Cobham listeners, get two extra free beers. Big thanks to everybody who's tweeted me at Matt Davis Adams with a question this week. Some really good ones. We won't have time to get to them all, but here's a selection. Lots of random topics to get our teeth into. We'll start with some transfer-related stuff. Uh, Jay asks, Chelsea linked with John Stones. Do you think this would be a good move or a flop? Um, Liam, it felt like a a good move way back when. Maybe not so much now, unless there's a a real cut-price deal to be made. Is it 2015 again? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, John Stones is a player that Chelsea have admired for for a long, long time. Michael Emanalo in particular very much admired him when he was at Everton. And, and, and of course, we, we know the story of, of Chelsea's public pursuit that summer and, and the way it didn't quite pan out. I just struggle to be convinced by the concept of Stones now, his career at City having gone into a drift for at least two years, being the answer to what, to be honest, looks like a, a myriad of, of defensive problems that Lampard has to solve. I, I struggle to believe that any one defender could could sort out all of Chelsea's issues, um, let alone one who has plenty of, of issues of his own to, to try and figure out And as he tries to get some momentum back in his career. I do believe there is a good player in John Stones, and I think you know there are a lot of people in football who who believe that he's got all the all the tools to be a very good modern ball playing center back but he's never quite put it all together consistently and it just feels like if he were to come to Chelsea now he would be adding to a group of defenders who who all have uh, similar strengths and weaknesses rather than upgrading on on what Chelsea already have Good question here from Akshay. I'll put it to you, Simon. Uh, he asks, do you think we're repeatedly linked with Atletico stars such as Oblak and Jimenez because they haven't paid us the fee for Morata yet? If that's the case, I'm highly, highly optimistic we'll get one of these two. What do you think? I think primarily the um, the Chelsea are interested in these players regardless. Uh, the relationship between the two clubs is strong. Um, Atletico committed to um, fulfilling this a transfer agreement with Chelsea. I, I would be surprised if that was factored in any kind of discount, as it were, for these two players because there are release clauses uh, for Oblak and, and Jimenez. But I, I just think it's a it's an easy way. Of course, there's been a few deals between these two clubs in in recent years. Um, so I just think it's it's a, a means of communication between them. I still think it would be very hard for either of those players to to end up at Stamford Bridge. Um, certainly, Jan Oblak um, is over £100 million. I don't think Atletico need to um, worry about 
a discount as such because he's that good. He's arguably the best keeper in the world. It's not in their interest to do Chelsea any favours. But the word is is that Atletico do need to sell one of their best players um, because financially they're, they're not in the strongest position right now. So perhaps that more than anything is, is Chelsea's best hope. But I wouldn't be surprised if Chelsea end up sort of having to go elsewhere to fulfil those two positions we're talking about. And certainly um, I've gone on a number of times about how Declan Rice is actually the one that Frank Lampard particularly wants to play at centre-back next season. Here's one for you, Dom. It comes from Rob. He wants to know, do you think Marina's renowned hard bargaining will be relaxed a bit to try and get some players out of the door to fund more arrivals? Thinking of the ones who may have interest from clubs lower down the league who maybe couldn't afford them, i.e. Barkley. Um, is, there, is there going to be a cut price sale at Chelsea this summer? Well, they would never admit it, but I think there has to be a bit more realism in terms of outgoings. Um, they, they will be keen to to shed players off their wage bill when you've got people like the aforementioned Batshuayi earning over 100 grand a week with absolutely no hope of playing anywhere near the Chelsea first team next season with a, a year to go on his contract as well. I mean... Clubs were being quoted £40 million for Batshuayi uh, last summer. I, I suspect that when he does move, and he will move, surely, uh, we'll be looking at a fee probably of a quarter of that. And that that's a reflection both of of COVID and the toils that a lot of clubs are having in terms of their finances at the moment, but also the realism that need to get these players off the books. They need to trim, they need to bring some money in as well, uh, and to get wages off off their books and Barkley's an interesting case in point because whenever Frank Lampard is asked about him he, he praises him and says that he's you know he's he's very much got a future at the club but I suspect that even if, if an appealing offer came in and given the the midfield options that Chelsea may have at their disposal next season that they'd, they'd look seriously at, at an offer of say 20 million pounds on him they'd still be making a profit on the money they paid Everton uh, a couple of years back uh, on a player that would enter the last year of his contract at Goodison Park. So I think there's a there's a particular quirk in, in terms of that and they can argue that, that they make a, a decent profit on a on a £20 million sale. But it'll, it'll, it'll happen across the board. Um, they've got, there's a lot of dead wood there. Uh, here's a final one on outgoings. I'll put it to you, Liam. Damesh asks, what's the future for Jorginho? Juventus sacks Sarri, so which team could sign him or will he stay? You can't help but feel that that dismissal of Sarri uh, maybe puts the kibosh on a, on a return to Italy with Juventus at least for Jorginho. Yeah, I mean, that that is the instinctive response. The, the reality is, and I, I wrote a piece a few weeks ago on this, that any path taking Jorginho to Juventus was already complicated. And it was complicated by the fact that Juve were primarily looking to upgrade their midfield at as minimal cost as if, um swap with Barcelona involving Miralem Pjanic and Artur. Chelsea want money for Jorginho and they would want a, a, a reasonable wedge for him because although he's been divisive among fans and although he is a player with very clear strengths and weaknesses that conditions the way you build your team, he has been... Um, a valuable contributor for for Chelsea at times over the last two years and and a contributor to to their successes. So um, they will want some money for him. I I think the the fact that Juve have sacked Sarri now, you would think, um, removes his single biggest champion within that club, um, within Turin. We'll see. Maybe Andrea Perlo is a huge fan of him. So, um, we, we don't know yet, but the, 
outside of Juventus, it's been noticeable how little noise there is around clubs that are interested in Jorginho. And it's something that I'm going to continue to, to keep an eye on and, um, and make inquiries about. But at the moment, he is one of several players there doesn't really seem to be a market for. On to next season then. Question from Kona. What would be a reasonable expectation to have from Lampard and the team next season? Simon, is it fair to say that a place higher at least will be the target in the Premier League? The thing is, is that having finished top four and got to an FA Cup final, um, that is now the bare minimum um, that Lampard has to achieve next season. Um I don't think a, a title challenge um, is likely. I think they, they would hope to get a lot closer to Liverpool and, and Manchester City. Um, but they're in that kind of, that sort of league uh, below those two clubs. And sort of finishing above, finishing top of that league is perhaps the, the, the realistic target. Um, them and Manchester United will be, um, one would expect to be the, the, the next two um, just as they were, ended up being this season. So in terms of the league, that would be, I think, realistic. Third place would, would be what they'd be hoping for and a much smaller points difference to, to first. And then the hope would be to go a bit further in the Champions League, but then that, of course, can depend on the draw. Avoiding a team as good as Bayern Munich in the last 16 would would, would help in that regard. Um, and then And then to win a domestic cup. Um, and that's certainly what the club would be hoping for. If you're going to spend big money, um, Chelsea don't go many years without winning a trophy. So Lampard will be under pressure. He, he knows that. One should remember that it was actually a very good FA Cup campaign. That the sides they beat to get to Wembley were, were much better than the ones than the one they actually lost to. And that would be the biggest disappointment for him is that they didn't finish the job. Penultimate question comes from Patrick. I'm going to put it to you, Dom. How well do the guys expect Werner, Ziyech and hopefully Havertz to adjust to the Premier League? And what are your realistic expectations for those players next season? I guess in the case of Werner and Ziyech, it helps that they've been training with their new teammates for a while now. So, that, so there will be a degree more familiarity with their, uh, with their new surroundings than there might otherwise have been. Completely agree. I think that's a really valuable little uh, period for for those two to to acclimatize to to Cobham and 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 to life in England okay they haven't had the haven't been involved in the sort of hustle and bustle of the Premier League yet but they've they've been in and around games um they've they've been with their teammates they will have started to forge the you know the understanding and the and the the bonds out on the training pitch that will be be so useful next season in, in terms of competitive football. Um, we have to give new players to the Premier League time to adjust. We just simply have to. We can't expect too much of them too soon. Um, but I think do think that that this little period will give Zayac and and uh, and Werner a, a, a little bit of an, an advantage going into next year. They'll they'll also be fresher than their teammates when when you know training starts and 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 the games begin in earnest whenever that may be with the staggered return because they will have had a a, a proper break really compared to 
compared to the guys that they're they're, they're, they're club mates who you know going to have two three weeks off maximum really so that should benefit them as well but you know it's it's, it's exciting it's thrilling to think what what these guys could achieve at Chelsea but we just got to give them a bit of time and and uh, and allow them to to adapt as as best they can because it it will still be a culture shock the premier league you know it may be littered with with players from the from the continent from around the, the world but it retains a physicality and an and an edge that that isn't always evident in other leagues around the world and Particularly, probably for Z- for Ziyech and coming from from Dutch football, it's going it's going to take a while just to to get used to it. Final question coming your way, Liam. Uh, both Russian Bear and Keep It Simple have asked about Hilario's future. He's the goalkeeping coach. Obviously, Kepa's come in for, for massive criticism this season. Um, Liam, you, you don't often hear of, of a goalkeeping coach being under pressure. Is this all because of Kepa's performances or, or is there a bit of residual effect from the fact that Hilario didn't exactly cover himself in glory on the occasions that he played for Chelsea? I, I think it's primarily down to, to Kepa's performances um, and the fact that Hilario doesn't necessarily have a huge pedigree um, as a as a goalkeeping coach himself. He's an internal appointment, someone that Chelsea have, have cultivated themselves. So um, we haven't heard anything that suggests he's under any sort of pressure or is being questioned more as a result of um, Kepa's form. I know it's a talking point among some supporters uh, but but Chelsea do like their their internal appointments. Uh, they do like to to develop people, to develop coaches, and broadly speaking, they've they've been pretty successful at doing that. And and some coaches have come through at Chelsea and gone on to to do very well elsewhere. I'm thinking, you know, predominantly about Steve Holland, who's now working with England after a long career coming through the ranks at Chelsea. So everything we've heard suggests that you know they they. They believe in in Hilario that they like him that they've you know they've gradually given him more responsibility over time and there's no suggestion at this point that that someone else will be coming in to work with Kepa or as is more likely um, whoever is the new number one next season. I think the the priority at the club and certainly from Lampard's perspective is just to get someone that he trusts more to be the the anchor point of this team because it's clear that that Kepper has lost that trust. I know we've discussed Kepper's situation quite a lot on this, but I do think it's a that is an intriguing subplot for for the summer in the in the transfer market because with, with the outlay that the Chelsea have already put on to to new signings and with Havertz potentially coming in as well and with this underlying desire to add a, a left back and at least one centre half I'm not sure that they're going to have a, an O-black-sized budget to attack their their goalkeeping issue. Um, and I do wonder whether at some level at the, at the club, they're actually scouring the market for bargain-experienced goalkeepers who might not maybe get the appetite, wet the appetite amongst Chelsea support, but would have that would have the, the, the faith of Lampard um, in, a, in a seasoned performer. It, it may be that it's a, you know, we're talking veteran player that comes in but maybe a player that's very experienced in the in the Premier League and would would offer a short term fix until maybe the summer of 2021 when when Chelsea can attack that issue again and in, in, with with a more long term vision. And I, I'm just going to chuck a name in there. Uh, this is, I have no basis that Chelsea are looking at this, but the the type of player like a Ben Foster who 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 does a good job in the Premier League. 
uh, is not going to be a long-term solution in any stretch of the imagination, but might be able to to get Chelsea by until the the budget is swollen enough for them to to you know sign a a long-term successor because clearly Kepa's not got a future at the club. Yeah, Ben Foster, of course, began his career at Manchester United. I'm sure he'd love a crack at another top four club before his career finishes. Now then, it's time for the return of our Colts Hero feature where we reflect on the Chelsea career of a player who maybe didn't steal the headlines during his time at Stamford Bridge. Today, we're focusing on Claude Makélélé. That's because he features in the Athletics Premier League 60 series in a piece penned by Dom. Um, Dom, give us a little tease of the article. Did, did you have to make your case to, to get him in the top 60 or was he a shoo-in? No, I think he was a shoo-in for the 60. What some people have, have quibbled with with the article is is this isn't a straight profile of a player that we all know a lot about. I mean, he he he's one of the few players out there that has a specific role named after him, which which really sums up his impact on on football as as a player. You know, this the scuttling, intercepting um, midfielder who who was who sparked as many attacks as he as he stopped as well. I mean, he was. Uh, a genius at the at the role that he developed, and bear in mind that he was originally a winger, and indeed played in a Champions League semi final with Nantes as a as a number seven. Um, you know, this is a this is a player that that really came to the fore at Real Madrid, where he learnt the role, and then at Chelsea under Mourinho, where he just came into his own and and, and made it his own. The idea of the piece, though, was very much to to look at to mention and 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 look at that the McAlady role, traditional McAlady role, but also at the the new role that he enjoys within the the modern day Chelsea, and and I think that in some ways is quite interesting. Not not least because as technical mentor, he he obviously fulfills duties at Chelsea where he's he's speaking to the the long, young loanees out at clubs, the likes of Gallagher at Swansea, etc. Uh, and he does do a bit of training uh, and coaching with with those guys when they're back at the club waiting to go out on loan again. However, we've had a situation this year at Chelsea where we, we've written N'Golo Conte learning the Makaleli role with the first team. You know, other guys filling in Jorginho there, obviously filling in in this in this deep lying midfield role. It amazes me in some ways that, that they've got Claude Makaleli across the road at the academy. Um, the ultimate defensive midfielder, the man who whose name is 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 fixed as a moniker to to the role, and yet he's not really doing any first team coaching. He's not involved at all with the senior setup. And I thought that was a an interesting angle to look at what he actually does contribute, what he has done post playing um, career. You know, in, in his coaching ventures, in, whether that be in Belgium or with Swansea, uh, or even briefly at Bastia in in France, because it's. There is a contradiction there. You'd think they would tap his knowledge and use him perhaps more persuasively than they are doing at the moment. But they obviously have their reasons why they're not. But, you know, this is a genius at work. And whether he can, whether he's able to transmit what he did as a player to to players is, you know, that's a different skill entirely. And maybe that maybe that's what he's still having to work at. Liam, in terms of his his playing days, you did a, a podcast with Michael Cox for the Zonal Marking Show, also available from the Athletic about Makaleli. What did you discover during that that you maybe didn't know before? I think the the main thing that that, that came up um, in the conversation I had with Michael for for that pod, which which focused a lot more on on Makaleli's on pitch role and and his kind of um, the the tactical innovation. That, that went into his his evolving position um but the most interesting thing that came up in my conversation with michael was was kind of his own evolution as a player 
uh, Makaleli, not Michael. Um, <laughs> in that he he started he started wide um, at Nantes and a more even a winger at times, much more of an attack minded player. And and it was only really when he got to Celta Vigo and, and worked with Mazinho, um, the the renowned Brazilian midfielder, who's actually responsible for influencing two world-class midfielders because, of course, Thiago Alcantara is his son. He he really helped Makaleli hone the the skills to to thrive in that kind of deep-lying central midfield role. And and he went and took that on to Real Madrid and, and of course, to, to Chelsea. And, and I think his, his impact on on Chelsea in that role was was absolutely seismic. He he arrived at I think the right time in his career to have that kind of influence on a on an emerging team and and his experience um and his his tactical knowledge was a really good counterbalance to a lot of the the younger players that Chelsea had who were who were emerging to form the spine of that that first great Mourinho side. He balanced everything, and I think one of the things that people often forget about Makaleli is just how good a passer he was. Um, I think people always look at him winning the ball back and, and and his instincts and positioning, which were all excellent, obviously. But his his range of passing, I think, was was super impressive, and and one that particularly comes to mind was the fantastic goal that Lampard scored against Bayern Munich. You know, where he where he chests the ball, swivels in midair and finishes with his left foot from a tight angle past Oliver Kahn. It was it was Makaleli who clipped that really intelligent ball over the Bayern defence to set up that chance. And there are, there are countless examples of that. And I, th- I think he, he was a really well-rounded, um, tactically and technically complete footballer. Finally then, Simon, is there a case to be made that, that he's one of Chelsea's most astute signings in recent memory, given what Liam and Dom have said and, and just how important he was to, to that Ranieri side, but particularly the, the first Jose Mourinho side that, that won back-to-back titles? Absolutely. I mean, it was it was a massive coup and, and you only have to um, look at how Real Madrid were negatively affected after he left them. It wasn't just the contribution he made to Chelsea, but but Real Madrid suffered a real downturn, if memory serves me right, without him there. Um, of course, he felt undervalued at Real Madrid. He wasn't paid as much as the the Galacticos were, and 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 Chelsea benefited. and And there's no doubt about it. He was a, a major cog in in that uh, those two title wins, and and Chelsea becoming a a force not just in English football, but on the European stage as well. But I'll just finish, though, with my my personal highlight of watching Claude Makélélé, which wasn't uh, perhaps what he would remember fondly. Or perhaps he does, who knows. But it was one of the worst penalties I've ever seen <laughs> uh, when che- on the day that Chelsea went to pick up the trophy uh, against Charlton. He just sort of passed it. Straight. It, was, it was kind of, you could tell, the whole squad just wanted him to get on the score sheet to get his first goal. And he completely mishit the penalty, or, or just passed it lamely uh, towards goal. But luckily, it rebounded to him. And, and and even then, on the rebound, he sort of hit it with the bottom of his foot, and it sort of fortunately bounced over the keeper into the net. And but the fact the whole squad went and celebrated, even those unused subs, I, I think it was a, a a funny moment, but also a moment of of everyone sort of appreciating Makaleli, I think that sort of showed a lot that he was given the penalty to take in the first place. 
Yeah, if you're a younger supporter or, or maybe new to Chelsea, do go and find that on the internet. It's a, it's a really good clip. Uh, for more on Makaleli, do check out that Premier League 60 piece available on The Athletic as penned by Dom. OK, nearly out of time, but before we go, let's see what the chaps have written slash will be writing for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Uh, Liam, you and Simon have been looking at Frank Lampard's first season in detail. Yeah, well, I mean, Simon's taken the lead on that. We've we've done a big piece looking back on on Lampard's first season. Hopefully, some things in there that you you wouldn't have known before. Uh, a little bit behind the scenes of what things have been like at Cobham and and the kind of atmosphere he's created, and and of course the the leading role he's taken in 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 Chelsea's recruitment. So. By all means, take a look at, at that piece. Um, I'm working on a, a couple of other things as well f- for this week. Um, one, I think, looking more broadly at the, at the Kepa situation and how, how it kind of projects forward over the summer and, and where his career goes from here. And, yeah, other things potentially in the pipeline too. So stay tuned. Simon, as well as that, look inside Lampard's first season. You've also been writing about Willian, who we haven't really mentioned yet, but has confirmed that, that he's leaving. What, what else is on your agenda for the next week or so? Holiday. <laughs> Be honest, <laughs> <sorry>. go on. <laughs> Closing Holiday. the laptop, forgetting about work. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but before I, before I um, pack up and give everyone the silent treatment, I am also in charge, I have the huge responsibility... Of, of doing uh, another Chelsea player uh, for the um, the Premier League 60 uh, piece series. And that's Gianfranco Zola. So, um, yeah, no pressure there to try and sum up <laughs> what he contributed to the club. Um, so, yeah, that would be my, my final piece before um give everyone a break for my uh, long-winded answers. <laughs> I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, how about you, Dom? You, you, we've gone deep on the Makaleli piece. Anything else in the pipeline? Uh, three other Chelsea players to to look at for Premier League 60. Uh, Didier Drogba is uh, the next one. I know we, Liam actually took lead on on a, on a big Didier Drogba profile that went out in April. So <laughs> I've had to look at a slightly different angle uh, again at that piece. So we probably have the hunters up in arms um, in the same way that McAlealy did. But um, yeah, that, that's that's the next one. I've got two more beyond that to to work on as well. So a little clue there into how many Chelsea players are featuring in the in the top forty of that of that series. Excellent. Sounds good. Well, that's it for now. Thanks so much for listening and for interacting with the show in this, our first season. We've really enjoyed your contributions and your company. Until next time, from Simon, from Dom, from Liam and from me, it's bye for now.